you're wondering if I missed uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, I promise you, I didn't. <laughs> this is a uh, Barong Tagalog. Can you guys say that? Barong Tagalog. Now, what this is, is a Philippine attire, you know, formal, semi-formal attire that actually has its roots, like part of it is pre-colonial, like native Filipino, but also colonial Spanish. So that's where you get some of that influence. Now, let me, tell you, let me tell you this. The reason why I'm wearing this today, I got three reasons, okay? The first one is, uh, who wouldn't want to wear this? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is great. Fantastic. Shout out to my dad. He got it for me. Uh, so I like this. Second reason, though, is if you didn't know, it's Filipino American History Month. That's right. So this is me just sharing with you guys a little bit of my culture. I'm Filipino-American, and the month of October, remembering the date, 1587 was the first Filipinos that came to America in Morro Bay in California. And so this is just me, my way of sharing with you guys a little bit about my culture. But the real reason I wore this today is I want to share with you guys my story of when I was in the Philippines. For those of you that are watching online, especially my online community, shout out to you guys. You probably heard this story countless times, but I'm going to say it in a new way. So for y'all here, I was, uh, man, grew up in California, spent 16 years there, and my parents sent me off to the Philippines where I finished my senior year of high school, and I did two years of Bible college. It was actually in the Philippines that I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered my life to him. Now, here's the thing. I saw the Lord's hand on my life during that whole time, how he rescued me and he saved me, but then how he called me into ministry. My dad discipled me faithfully for like six solid months. I go, end up receiving a call to ministry, decide I'm going to go to Bible college. And I get plugged into this local church. And like I see the hand of God just moving me along. He was blessing me. And here's what happened. Ultimately, I look back on that season and I just think, man, the Lord had blessed me with many opportunities to uh, continue on in higher education. Like there were people and scholarships that were willing to give so that way I could keep going to school. So I could get my master's and potentially a PhD. Like God was blessing me in that way. I saw in the local church that I was serving at, the pastor, you know, he's getting kind of old. He was, you know, looking to retire and he was looking for somebody to pass on the ministry to. And he was looking at me as a Timothy to raise me up. And the Lord had given me favor where I was doing evangelistic crusades and I was preaching in, for like youth camps and conferences. Like I was constantly doing what I believe the Lord was calling me to do. There was a girl at the time. Where's my wife? I'm trying to find her. <laughs> uh, there was a girl, you know, I was like, oh man, you know, every young man, I was like 19 years old. Dreaming about the future, like, you're going to have kids. Gonna, like, my future was set. I look back at that period and I just think, 
man, Lord, you, you, you had blessed me so much. And yet, something happened. Something completely out of my own control, unforeseen circumstances. My parents had to take me out of the Philippines and I came back to the United States. That was 10 years ago. But I look back at that time and I remember, I remember doubting God. I remember asking God constantly, why? Why, Lord? Is this not what you wanted for my life, to serve you faithfully, to give my life to the ministry? Lord, you had opened up so many doors for me to continue to school, for me to, to, to continue on in ministry. God, even potentially a future with this girl. Why? Here's the thing. I realize it now, 10 years later. Oftentimes, it's in those moments that something crucial happens. Where you and I, when we're in those situations, we can do one of two things. On one hand, we can trust God. We say, God, I, I believe in you. I've seen how you've worked in my life, and I'm going to trust you. But on the other hand, in those situations, sometimes it's so easy to distrust God. To look at God and say, why? And ultimately, that distrust turns to rebellion. Where we try to do things in our own way. Like, God, okay, you're not showing up. I'm just going to do it my own way. And when we do that, when we rebel against Almighty God, we fail to see his promises fulfilled in our life, and we fail to see his blessings in our life. And this is, this very warning is what's given in our text today. So if you have your Bibles, those of you online, just pull it up on the app, pull it up on your web browser. We're going to open to Exodus chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 20. So as you guys are turning there, I just want to let you know, if you guys are new to Fielder, we have been in the book of Exodus. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago, we were going in depth in the Ten Commandments. And then we spent several weeks talking about, hey, how does the Ten Commandments play out in our lives? Or for Israel, how are they were supposed to live it out? And then what we're going to find today is this quick transition, almost abrupt into a promise. So with that being said, let's read together. Exodus 23, verse 20 says this. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. 
So we didn't read the section, but right before this, it talks about like this weird thing about don't boil your mama, you know, the, the goat in the mama's milk and all that. And it, it's specific instructions, but then it's almost abrupt and it talks about this promise. Now, next week, we're actually going to be talking about this promise being, this covenant being confirmed. But this week, what I want us to focus in on is the details of this promise. So in a gist, let me just give you the promise in a gist or how it goes. There's this promise. And it's a promise of land. This promised land was a land that God had prepared for his people. He had promised it to them. But there's a problem. There was a price that needed to be paid. You see, there was enemies who occupied the land. And so they needed to drive out these enemies from the land in order to inherit the land of promise. So there's a promise. There's a price to be paid. But they weren't supposed to do it in their own way. They weren't supposed to do it in their own strength. They were supposed to trust in the provision that God had given them, this angel. So it says, I give you this angel to go before you, to guard you, and to lead you into this land. So if you want the promise, the price is that you're going to need to listen to the provision that has been given to you. But here's the thing. God had already been constantly providing time and time and time again for his people. If you remember, before they were freed, they were held captive in Egypt for 400 years by Pharaoh. And God, what did he do? He performed miracle after miracle after miracle to save them. He provided ways for them to be rescued. If you remember, there were 10 plagues that happened and God sent, he provided these 10 plagues so that Pharaoh would release the Israelite people. But then they weren't completely free. What did Pharaoh do? He chased after them. He said, ah, nah, I'm not going to let them just leave scot-free. I'm going to pursue them. So he pursued them, and they were stopped by a Red Sea. Nowhere to go. God, in his goodness, provided a way. He split open the Red Sea. They were able to walk on the dry ground. And instead of being caught up by Pharaoh's armies, the water swallowed them whole. But then they find themselves in a wilderness. Another problem. Where were they going to go? They were lost. God provided for them the, pillar, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to guide them. Okay, well, there's no food source. We're, we're growing hungry here. God provides bread from heaven. They're thirsty. God provides a water source, turns bitter water to sweet water. God has time and time and time and time again provided for his people. And it's the same thing here. God is providing for them this angel. There's a promise. The way this promise is going to be kept is by paying the price, by ridding them of the enemies. And guess what? God has already provided this angel, this provision. But there's an issue. 
the human issue. You know, my dad always taught me, when you point your fingers at somebody else, remember there's three fingers pointing right back at you. See, the Israelite sin condition is also our own sin condition. God knows that though he has provided this angel, what does he say? Listen to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel. Why? Because our sin tendency, what we tend to do is to distrust God. It's to rebel against him. I mean, we don't got to look far. Just look at Adam and Eve. What did they do? God said what they needed to do, and they said, no, nah, I'm going to go my own way. And so we find here in the text, there's a promise, but the way they're going to experience this promise, enter into this land, is if they trust in the provision that's been given to them. Let's keep reading. He lays it out for us. What is this going to look like? Starting in verse 23. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. And I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets or the hornet before you which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. So let's pause right there. I hope we're reading the same text. Man, this is a beautiful text. It says that God is going to send his angel, and he's going to give them blessing after blessing after blessing. Like, can I get a show of hands? Like, or if you're in the chat, I want you to put the hand raise emoji. Right? Who wouldn't want these blessings? He's saying, I'm not even just going to give you everything that you need to survive. I'm going to give you everything you need to thrive. He says, nobody's going to be barren in the land. You're going to see the fullness of your days. I'm going to bless your bread. I'm going to bless your water. And so time and time again, he's saying, I'm going to bless you. Here is the thing. You may not have noticed it the first time we read it. But what God is actually doing here is he's alluding to or trying to remind them of what he had done in the past. So maybe look at your text. It says there that there's these hornets and these, there's this terror that's going to be sent into the land so that the people turn their back from you. It's meant to sound familiar. It's intentional by God. Why? Because he's trying to point them back to Egypt. What did he do to rescue them from the, the hands of Pharaoh? The ten plagues. 
gnats and flies and frogs. He's drawing a connection. In a similar way, he's going to send the hornet and the terror to free the people, to experience the promise. He talks about confusion. You know, if you ever think about the Red Sea moment, the Lord split the Red Sea. They were following them along the pathway. And ultimately, they could have just followed them through. But if you read the text clearly, it says that God caused a confusion in the ranks of Pharaoh. The wheels began to become jammed, which prevented them from escaping the waters coming over them. And God is saying, he's pointing his people, the Israelite people, as he's saying it here in the text, he's saying, I'm going to send, in a similar way, a confusion to the people of the land so that they turn their backs from you. And in the same way, God is saying, just like I provided for you in the past, I provided this angel for you right now. Maybe if you're anything like me, you look at this text and you, you see yourself in the text. Like, who doesn't want provision? Who doesn't want God's protection? Who doesn't want God to guide them? God is saying, I've given you every reason to trust me. All you need to do is look back. Remember, trust in me. I've provided for you in the past. I'll provide for you now. Maybe some of you, maybe you're at home or you're at work or you're here this morning and you're filled with anxiousness, wondering where the next, how are you going to pay for your bills that are coming up? Maybe you're anxious because you have no idea what your future holds. Maybe you're anxious because you just need God's protection. God, just tell you, God may be saying the same thing to you, just like what he's saying to the Israelite people. Would you trust me? Would you remember, I am a faithful God, and I am a good God. I provided for you in the past. Would you believe me that I'm going to provide for you for your future? I've guarded you, led you in the way, protected you. Why then do we doubt that he's going to do it again? God is faithful. He's good. But it's not a but about God. It's a but about us. There's an issue. God knows. Right? There's this promise. They need to drive the people out of the land. And the reason why God says that is because he knows that if they don't successfully drive this, these nations, all these Canaanites, Jebusites, you name it, ites, right? Like, I don't want to name it all. All these ites, you got to drive them out of the land. The reason being, why? Because he knows that if they don't successfully do that, they're going to be tempted to serve those gods. 
if they don't successfully drive them out and break down the pillars, they're going to be tempted to serve those gods. And it's exactly what he says in verse 31. I know we're doing a little jump, but follow with me. Verse 31, he says this. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. God doesn't want anything to take what is rightfully his, right? He has a rightful place. He doesn't want anything or anyone sitting in it, which is why he says here. But here's the reason why I say that. Because God knows that he alone can truly satisfy. He alone can truly provide all that we need. He alone can guide us. He alone can be the one to meet our needs. All these lesser gods, they leave us wanting for more. They never truly satisfy. So God, in his goodness, is saying, I'm giving you myself. But again, so easy to point the finger at them, forget that three are pointing back at us. Here's the, here's the reality. We, like them, see the blessings of God. It's amazing. It's incredible. But then we look at our lives and we say, I don't see you, God. I don't see your bread. So we settle for crumbs. I don't see where the water source is, so I'm settling for these little droplets. God, I, I don't see how you're working right now in my life. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and do things my way. I don't see where the provision is going to come from. I don't see how you're going to guide me. So, God, I'm just going to go after these other things so I could just get a temporary fix. We, like the Israelite people, need to recognize our own tendency. God is saying, he alone is the one who can truly satisfy us. Therefore, stop bowing down to these lesser gods. Break down those pillars. Break them into pieces. Stop serving and seeking satisfaction from these lesser things because they don't truly satisfy you. Serve Yahweh God. He alone can satisfy. Man, God is good. Amen? But can I say this? God knew. He knew that they were going to struggle with trusting God for present provision. Right? Like seeing God's provision right now. And because of that, he also knows the human tendency to lack trust for future provision. 
So I want to jump back. We're going to go back to 29. Look what it says here. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So again, listen, there's this promise of land and God has provided for them this angel who's going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. But here's the thing. God was going to do it in his own timing. Here's the question, okay? Can God completely remove the inhabitants of the land so that they can come in? Could he? Yes. The question isn't, could God do it? Because he can. God has a reason, a purpose. He is all wise. He is all good. And he even lays it out for them. He says, hey, I'm not going to do it in a year's time. I'm going to do it little by little. Because if I just completely wipe them out or rid them of the land, wild beasts are going to multiply. The land's going to be desolate. Wild beasts are going to occupy it, and you're going to struggle to take the land. Instead, I'm going to give it to you little by little by little, driving them out little by little by little, so that way you can increase in number and possess the land. Wow. In his timing. What does that mean then for us? Because if I'm honest with you, I look to God and I say, you can heal me right now. God, you can take my pain away. You can heal my son. You can save my brother. You can remove the cancer. You can provide what I need. The question isn't, can God do it? Because the answer is he can. The real question is this. Will you trust God that he knows best? That his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and that he must be up to a good thing if he's not answering our prayers the way we want. Are you willing to trust God? Let him be God and us just trusting him. You know, I, I read the text and as I was studying, you know, one of the things that came to my mind as I was studying was this thought. They had this angel. This angel was a provision by almighty God who was going to guide them and lead them to the promise. We have an even greater provision. All this angel is doing is pointing us to the one who was provided on our behalf. Do you all know his name? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the one who was provided for you and for me. He is the promised Messiah. And Jesus, he has come, he fulfilled the perfect 
He, he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live for ourselves. You know, I, as I'm just thinking about how Jesus is the one, right? Like our moments in life, we can either choose to say, God, I trust you, or I turn away from you and distrust you. Jesus, he came not only to lead us to the promise, but guess what? Jesus came to secure that promise for us. This is the gospel. Jesus is the promised one who came and did for you and I what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died. He was crucified. He died. He rose from the grave after three days. He has resurrected and he's ascended to the Father where he is right now. And you know what Jesus he says, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come for those who are mine. And guess where he's leading us into? Into eternity. Into the new heavens and into the new earth. Jesus fulfills every single promise. You want to talk about bread? Jesus is the bread of life. You want to talk about water? Jesus is living water. You want to talk about the fullness of days? Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in him, you get to see the fullness of your days with him in eternity. Jesus Christ not only provided the way, he's not only God's provision for us, securing for us the promise, but guess what? He paid the ultimate price for us. The question isn't, can he do it? It's already been done. The question is, are you going to trust in God's provision for you? Here's what I'm going to invite us to do. Some of you here this morning, you realize that you're like the enemy invading the land and you're serving other gods. You can try all as you may, but they're never going to satisfy you. You can serve them, but God is saying, Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to save you. He wants to give you the promise of eternal life. He paid the ultimate price to secure it. Are you going to trust in his provision, his finished work on the cross, and place your faith and trust in him? This morning, in a little bit, we're going to have pastors and prayer team who are ready to walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. For those of you online, Becky is in the chat. You can ask her, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Some of you this morning, you need to make it public. Today is the day. You know, you read it right there. It says, Jesus in my place. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price. He secured salvation. You can say, Jesus, I give myself to you. Here I am. Others of you this morning, you know, I... I wore this also because I wanted to show you guys 
what my life would have been if he didn't interrupt it. I would have been wearing things like this at weddings, performing weddings, preaching, all that stuff, going to school, whatnot. But man, you know, that, that moment when I came back and I was questioning God, I could have easily just been mad, distrusted God, rebelled against him, and walked away. But God in his faithfulness reminded me how he's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful again today. Took 10 years. <laughs> but man, the Lord has blessed me. I'm part of an amazing church. He's given me opportunities to preach. I'm back in school now. I'm married to my incredible wife. We got two boys with another one on the way. Like, I would not have seen all these things if I distrusted God and walked away. I just say the same thing to you. Is that you this morning where you're at a deciding moment? You find out you have cancer. Your son is struggling to be healed. Fill in the blank. You can either choose to distrust God, rebel against him and walk away, or today you can say, God, I trust you. You've been so you've been so good to me. God, I can't believe how you love me. What a friend you have been. You've been so good to me. And God, I can't believe how you love me what a friend you have been i just want to invite you i don't think there's anything else the lord has for me to say except you come the altar is open man or maybe you just need to be where you're at and you need to go face down on the floor. You need to get on your knees and you just need to say, God, I trust you. You've been faithful to me in the past. God, I can believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. You're going to be faithful to me. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Join their faith with yours. You come. We want to pray with you. And we can declare together in faith that he's faithful that he's good so I'm going to invite you guys to stand y'all come respond as the spirit leads